0: there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from The Message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. Good morning and welcome to Message Mornings here from The Message Trust in Manchester, England. I'm Ben Jack and I'm delighted to be with you uh, on this very special Good Friday morning. And if you're watching it after the fact, catching up uh, with this a different time, then it doesn't matter. We're still gonna take the truth of Good Friday and in fact the whole of the Easter weekend into uh, our lives day by day. And that's really what we're gonna be looking at today as we think about talking about death. Now, people don't really like to talk about death. It's a bit of a taboo subject. Even though it's an inevitability, for every single person who ever lived, they have eventually died. We we kind of like to just keep it on the down low. Some cultures do a better job of talking about death than others, but in the Western world in particular, we kind of have a bit of a fingers in the ears, la 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 attitude about it. And yet Christians, conversely, can sometimes seem like they are uh, slightly death obsessed. I mean, we're celebrating Easter weekend right now, which is a, a celebration of the the figurehead of Christianity, Jesus Christ himself, dying, and and not just dying, but dying on a on a cross, a horrific instrument of torture and death devised by. Possibly the the greatest killers in history, the Roman Empire. Who who they, those guys knew how to kill people, and they developed this this horrendous tool for killing, uh, and reserved for killing the worst of the worst, those who were involved in insurrection against the empire, and they would be put upon these crosses, and it was a, a torturous, horrible way to die. And yet, we as Christians. We, we wear these around our necks in, in jewelry and in earrings and we even get them tattooed on our bodies. Not to mention our fascination with this with this death device and a, and a whole holiday at Easter that thinks about Jesus dying. We also have Bible story after Bible story that's kind of got death involved. I mean, think about a, a famous Sunday school story like Noah's Ark. We have the picture of Noah in the boat with all the nice animals. But you can't get away from the fact that under those waves are multitudes of dead and drowned people. There is there is death all over the place when it comes to Christianity, even in evangelism. I, as an evangelist, want to go and tell the world that there is, there is good news, and yet so often, the gospel has been taken into the world with this question. Do you know where you're going when you die? Oh, we don't want to talk about death. Why are you asking me where I'm going to go after I die? And people have all sorts of ideas about heaven and hell, and, and they they obviously, you know, get concerned about these things. And then, no, I don't want to talk about it, or it's offensive, or or you Christians are, are death obsessed. No, thank you very much. Actually, when I was a younger boy, I had a little bit of a death fascination when I was about 11 years old, something like that. I, uh, I got my first proper pet. His name was Norman, a little Russian albino hamster. And for some reason, I was curious uh, about what was going to happen to Norman after he died. Until that point in my life, I'd only really experienced one significant death in my life, the death of my uncle, who very sadly died at, at quite a young age. And so death was kind of on the horizon for me. I was kind of you know, aware of its reality, but it's not something as a kid that you think about particularly. But for, for some reason, when I actually got this little hamster, I started thinking about death. I think it's because the pet shop owner told me, oh, you know, your hamster's gonna live for about a year to 18 months. Um, that's about how long it'll be there. And I was like, wow, that's a very short life. And so, as time ticked on, as the months went by, I started to think, yeah, one day I'm going to wake up and little Norman is going to be dead. I wonder what he's actually going to look like when he's dead. I wonder if he'll look different to how he does when he's alive. Will I, you know, will there be a sense in which the, the little personality that he's got, that he's got, is gone? Anyway, I went on a summer camp, and uh, one morning I got a phone call at the summer camp. Ben, your mum's on the phone for you. Okay, went, picked up the phone. My mum says, Ben, I got bad news for you. I'm afraid that I went into your room this morning and Norman has died. And my response to my mum worryingly was not, oh, I'm so upset. I love little Norman. My response to my mum was, oh, what did he look like? And my mum rightly looked at me with suspicion for a few (laughs) weeks afterwards. But it was just a kind of innocent curiosity and fascination with the idea of us being alive and then not being alive. What is death? Look, we gotta be careful that we don't go too far in either direction. If we're overly curious about death, have an overly inflated kind of morbid curiosity. That can actually be quite unhealthy, I think. But 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 equally going too far the other way, and fingers in the ears, which is the predominant view, I think, of just going, no, thank you, don't wanna talk about death, don't want anything to do with is is not healthy either because it's denying the fact that this will play a role in all of our lives. Not just our own death, but but death around us, with, with friends, with family, with people that we admire in, in culturally or politically or whatever else. The, these deaths, they impact us. Of course, over the last year, we've been confronted with death in a very stark way through COVID-19. Many, many people have been impacted firsthand with people that they love, uh, being killed directly or indirectly by, by this terrible Um, disease. Or we know people who who know people who have and we're seeing the statistics on the news and it's hard, isn't it, sometimes to see those statistics and and realize that those are are real lives when it's such a big number that that have died. It's like, can I reconcile in my mind that these are multitudes of people who had families, who had life, who had dreams, who had ambition, who had emotion, who are now no longer breathing and walking the face of Of the earth. But although we might not want to think about these things, although we might not want to talk about them, it is essential that we do talk about death, not just for the psychological benefits, as good and important as that might be, not just for the psychological benefit of self reflection, but because actually, as we talk about death, might I suggest, through the healthiest and best lens possible which is Jesus Christ, we can discover that actually death is not defeat. Death is not the end. Death is not the greatest tragedy. Actually, there is hope because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. You know, I want to make something very clear this morning. God hates death. I think there's some people that read the Old Testament and because they see a lot of death present in that part of the Bible with with wars that were raging and all sorts of crazy stuff going on. But even the New Testament, they they see things in there. They're like, oh, I'm not sure about that. There seems like a lot of death. And and God seems ambivalent uh, at best at times. And it may be even pleased at other times by some of the death that's going on. And I'm here to tell you today, no, God hates death. Death is the antithesis. It is the opposite of God. Why? Because God is death life, and death is destruction. God did not create us to experience, to be impacted by, or to know the consequences of death. He created us for life, and a very particular form of life, life in the fullness of relationship with him. The Bible says that God's desire that no one should die. He doesn't want anyone to die. The Bible says that God does not take pleasure in death. The Bible says, In the New Testament, when Jesus experiences something that many of us have experienced, the death of a close friend, the Bible says in the shortest passage in all of Scripture, just two words, that Jesus wept. How profound is that? That the most succinct Scripture, the most direct, the most on-point passage in all of the Bible, just two words gives testimony to how much God, remember Jesus is God, in human form, so that we can know who God is, Jesus himself weeps because he hates death. So why does death exist if God hates it so much? Surely God could have created a world where there was no death. Well, that's exactly what God did. When God creates the world, the Bible says it is good. And when he creates us, we are in perfect relationship with him. He who is life, he is the king of life. When you are in relationship with God, you are in his life. But the problem is this we made a decision to go our own way instead of going in the same direction with God. We made a decision to eat from the tree of knowledge. And God said, look, you can do anything in this. Everything is permitted here. But that tree over there, you can't eat from that tree. That's the one thing. That's the one thing I don't want you to do. And why does God give them choice? Because love has to have choice attached. If you're truly gonna love somebody, there has to be a choice to love them. Otherwise, it's just robotics it's just coercion. It's just manipulation. It can only be true love if somebody actually has the chance to say, I choose to love you or I choose to walk away. So God gives humanity a choice. He says, you can come my way. You can love me. And these are, these are all the amazing benefits. You're living in paradise. It didn't get better than this. But there is that one tree over there. Don't get involved with that. And by not getting involved with that, you will show me that you love me. And you will know that I love you in return but we decide to do what we want to do. We take the fruit, we eat it. Why? Because so often we think we're a better king than God. Ah, God, you know what? You're great. You're all right. I don't like you. Whatever, whoever you are on the spectrum, I don't even believe in you. But I actually think that I can be a better Lord than you can. I think I know how to live my life better than, than you do. I think if I take control of life, life will be better. And God says you couldn't be more wrong. When you take control of life, you don't get life, you only get death because you are frail. You are imperfect. You are not holy as I am holy. I am the perfect God, he says. I am holy. I am justice. I am peace. I am righteousness. I am life. I am love. I am freedom. I am hope. I am compassion. And if you turn your back on me, you will only walk into the opposite of those things. And we say, well, thanks for the notes, God, but we're going to do what we want to do. Thanks very much. And so we go chasing after life. It's what the Bible calls sin. Some people think that sin is wrong behavior, like doing the wrong thing. Like you punch your sister in the face. Oh, that was, that was a sinful thing. Actually, behavior, wrong behavior is just a symptom Of sinfulness. True sinfulness is this it is failing to worship God for who He is, the only one who is worthy. Every sinful action, every behavior that goes into the world and brings chaos and and ruins the peace that God created us for, brings disharmony instead of unity, brings hatred instead of love, enslaves people instead of sets people free. Any behavior that does that is rooted in the same problem, and it's the problem of failing to worship God for who he is, the king of kings, the creator and sustainer of life, love itself. Because we chose to be the ruler of our own lives, we brought death into the world. And God looks at us and he says, oh, why did you do that? You could have had life and life eternal, but you've chosen something lesser, mere existence. You were not created for mere existence, the road to death. You were created for life and life in all of its fullness in relationship with your creator, God. So God looks at us and he says, well, you've rebelled. You've brought death into my perfection. You are living in imperfection and there is no place for imperfection in my perfect kingdom. So you cannot now have a place in my kingdom. We've ruined it. We've blown it. But outside God's kingdom, there cannot be life. And God desires for us to know life out of his love for us. And so he says, this will not do. I'm going to do something about this. So what does God do? He sends his perfect, holy son to live the perfect, holy human life. The life that we should have always lived ourselves. To always look at the father and say, instead of two fingers up to you, I'm going to put two arms up to you and say, I worship you. I adore you. I choose you every single day. Every single moment of every single day. I worship you. I will be obedient to you. I will have you as my Lord and my King, and I love you and thank you for your love in return. This is true humanity. Anything else is dehumanization. When you turn your back on God, you dehumanize yourself and you become a dehumanizer of others. And dehumanization always leads to death. But God says, no, I created you for true humanity. True humanity is in relationship with me in life. And Jesus steps in becomes a human 2,000 years ago, takes on the nature of a man while still being God himself, lives that perfect life, and then he dies upon a cross. Why do you do that, Jesus? Why, Why are you dying in that most horrific way, flogged to within an inch of your life, literally having your wounds exposed so deeply that we can see bone, having a crown of thorns pushed down onto your head until blood is dripping and stinging into your eyes, being mocked, being spat upon, being disdained, having nails drilled into your flesh to hang you in place upon that cross where you are left to suffocate as you bleed, as you ache. Why would you do that, Jesus? And Jesus' response is, I do that because that's how much I love you. And that's how much I don't want you to be condemned to the death that you chose for yourself when you ran away from life in relationship with God. But here's the wonderful news as Jesus dies upon the cross and cries out these wonderful words, it is finished. What what does he mean? It is finished. He means the curse of sin and death is broken. It is finished now that humanity are condemned to death with no way back to God. No, it is finished now because Jesus himself has taken that death upon himself, and three days later, he comes back to life. People say to me, Ben, do you really believe that Jesus came back to life? How could it be possible that a man could come back to life? And I'm like, you're forgetting this is God yes, he was a man able to live as the perfect example for us, able as a man to take on the sins of the world as a representative for all humanity. But he's also God, which means that he can't be held down by death. Three days later, which we'll celebrate wonderfully on Easter Sunday, he comes back to life. He is risen. And then we really find out what it means, as he says on the cross, it is finished. He means not just if I taken care of the penalty of your sinfulness. I've also taken care of the ongoing consequence, death, because I am alive again. And when you put your trust in me, you can share in my new life. Death does not have to be your end. Death does not have to be your destination. If you openly declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? From yourself, your own rebellion, and the death that it leads to. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's my desire that you should not die. And because of what my son has done, if you trust in him, in his ability to take care of all the muckiness that you got involved with and absolve it, bring healing and forgiveness, if you trust in him, that then he was also raised from the dead, you too can share in that resurrection. Death is not the end. Death actually moves from being something that breaks us to being something that makes us. Because in Christ's own death, we can know life have you ever done something impulsive I remember when I was a kid I was out playing with some friends and we were in the park and a little I was probably only about eight or something and uh, and there was a little girl with us as well she's about five or six and and there was a dog across the way who got loose from its owner and came bounding over towards us the charging dog of death and it came bounding towards this little girl looking at her like she's you know dinner for him he's like well I don't get this at home this looks good to me And so impulsively, without thinking, I just jumped in front of her, I pushed her out the way, and the dog ended up clamping its jaws on me. Instead, it was horrible at the time. But in hindsight, you look at it and you think, yeah, I feel like a bit of a legend, and this is going to give me a great preaching illustration in 30 years' time or so. But it was impulsive. I can't claim too much credit. I just saw it, and I was like, "Oh, oh, okay and I jumped in the way. I think sometimes maybe we think about Jesus in those terms, that Jesus just impulsively, oh, humanity's in trouble. Um, Okay, I'll impulsively jump in. No, Jesus had all of eternity existing in the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity to consider whether or not he was going to step in. You've been on the top of a diving board, looking down, thinking to yourself, am I going to jump into the, to the pool here? It's a long way down, I'm not sure. The longer you stand on top of that diving board, and you, you, you go first, you go first. The longer you do that for, the less likely it is that you're actually ultimately going to do it. You'll talk yourself out of it. Jesus had eternity to talk himself out of stepping in to the breach for us, but there is no amount of time that would have stopped Jesus from doing what Jesus came to do, to set us free by taking our place upon the cross. This is not an act of impulse, this is an act of love. Look at how the disciple John tells us about this truth in 1 John 4, nine through 12. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Not that we loved him oh, I'll come and help you out because you love me. No, we didn't love him. We run away from him. Not that God, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, the one that was gonna come and make us at one again with God, despite the fact that we'd run away and rebel. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Don't you see? That's how much God loves you, that he would rather suffer and die a horrendous death upon the cross than leave you to face the sting of death that you had chosen for yourself in your rebellion, that you were powerless to escape. And he didn't do it because we loved him. We were like an adulterous spouse running around cheating on God with anybody and everybody that we could find putting it out there, left, right, and center. And God, as the spouse who has been abandoned and humiliated, doesn't look at us when we then get into mess and go, well, you made your own bed, go lie in it. God looks at us and he says, yeah, you ran away. Yeah, you, <laughs> you spat in my face, but I love you. I love you with a love that conquers all. And out of that love, you can be rescued. Because of Jesus I can have confidence that my own death is not something to be feared. It is simply a shadow. My biological death is going to happen, but it's not something to be feared. It is me, a shadow of death, through which I step through as I take my last breath in this earth and open my eyes to relationship with God in perfection eternally, as it was always supposed to be. The Bible says that death in this light has been swallowed up in victory. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And because of that, I need not fear drawing my last breath on earth, because it will simply be leading me to the first breath of my truest life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian who was killed in the Second World War in a, in a, in a Nazi camp, as he was being led to the gallows, he said, this is the end. For me, the beginning." Of life. What is it that could lead a person to be able to say, as they're about to be murdered, to be able to say with absolute confidence, this is the end. Biologically, this is the end. But for me, the beginning of life. I'll tell you what can lead a person to that. The cross of Christ, the hope of the resurrection. Not only can I have confidence and hope in my own mortality, but I can know that there's hope for those around me that I love who have also put their trust in Jesus. Those who have died in the last year during COVID, but are now more alive than ever because of their trust in the one who died for them, who made it possible for them to not know death to merely pass through its shadow into eternal life. I've been impacted by a couple of deaths recently. Great evangelist, Luis Palau, went to be with the Lord a a couple of weeks ago. And my wife's auntie very sadly passed away at quite a young age, of complications from COVID. And what I've seen in both of these situations is is basically the same response from the families, from the Palau family and from my wife's side of the family. It's a response of sadness. We, we miss people when they're gone. Just as Jesus wept over his friend Lazarus dying, it, it's sad, it, it, it's tough, it's difficult. We feel the absence, we feel the lack of presence of that person in our lives. And yet, at the same time, when we know that they are in relationship with Jesus, that sadness is, is bitter, but it's also sweet because we know that they are now more alive than ever before. And I've seen that in the Palau family, my wife's family, that I, similar conversations that I've had with them since, where they've, both people, both sides have said to me the same thing, which is, yeah, we're, we're sad we miss them, but man, we know that they are home. They are where they are meant to be. What gives you that level of hope? It's the cross of Christ. The Catholic priest and scholar Henry Nouwen said this, joy never denies Sadness, but it does transform it into fertile soil for more joy. Actually, what he's saying here is you know, we can have joy even in death. It doesn't deny that death is a sad thing, it doesn't deny that death impacts and it's painful on our emotions and the absence of those that we miss. It doesn't deny those things. But choosing joy in the fact that God has made it possible for none to perish gives a fertile soil for more joy to spring forth as rather than denying the reality of death, we recognize the reality of death, and then we celebrate the victory that Christ has over death, that nobody needs to be eternally dead. Everyone can be eternally alive. And you know, we shouldn't be Um, death-obsessed as Christians. Christianity is not a death cult. Christianity is life and life to the fullness. So I want to be aware of death, but only because it is the gateway, my awareness that death is a problem, to the solution, Jesus Christ. And then I live in the light of the solution. I live in relationship with him. I say, Jesus, thank you that you died for me, that I was on a one-way ticket to death, but you took it for me. You took the sting upon yourself. And I can know life, not just after I die, but today, Jesus says, I've come that you would have life and life to the fullness. That by his Holy Spirit coming into my life, he can transform me into the person that I was always supposed to be. It doesn't mean that my life as a Christian is perfect, that I never experienced difficulty or pain. It means that he is with me in every moment of every circumstance until I am with him perfectly and eternally on the other side of the shadow of death. Actually, if we're gonna talk about death, what we really need to talk about as we talk about Jesus, is life. The truth is, we shouldn't be death-obsessed, we should be life-obsessed. I'm supposed to be obsessed with life because Jesus is life. He is Lord, and because of him, all can know life. You can know life today. There's a popular saying that often gets uh, thrown out on Good Friday and Easter sermons. It says, it's Friday, but Sunday is coming. In other words, the Friday is the hard part because we know that Jesus died. and It's like, whoa, Jesus, you died. I'm pretty sure this is a good thing, but the disciples certainly didn't know that at the time. Friday was a dark day for them, not a good day. It wasn't until Sunday that they were able to make sense of it in light of the resurrection. And so this sermon famously says, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And I'm like, yeah, I get the sentiment of that. But you know what? We don't need that now. We don't need that now. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Sunday already came. Sunday came 2,000 years ago. And Sunday's still here today. I don't live in an eternal Friday or reburying Jesus every good Friday. I live every single day with Him alive and risen. So, to say I don't reflect upon the cross, no, I want to reflect upon the cross every single day as well. It's not to say that Saturday, as we think about that time of confusion while Jesus was in the tomb, isn't relatable to people's circumstances. No, there are many people that are feeling like life is Saturday right now. But the point is this you don't actually have to wait until Sunday. Jesus is alive, and because Jesus is alive, you can come to life as well. We can live every day in constant thanks of the events of Friday, but we can live every day in constant empowerment because of the events of Sunday. You don't have to wait until Sunday to choose life. Choose life today. If you're a Christian and you're watching this, choose life afresh today. Get on your knees before God this morning whenever you're watching and say, God, I want to choose you afresh. I want to live in your resurrection life afresh today. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not following Jesus, I want to tell you this, you're on a one-way ticket to death. But there is hope. Jesus has taken the death that you chose for yourself when you ran away from God. And the Bible says that all of us have run away from God. You're not in a special club. We, We all ran away from God. But it's possible for every single one of us to turn back to him, put their trust in Jesus and know true life. Look, if you are afraid of death this morning, if you are fearful about your mortality Jesus says to you this morning, trust in me to give you eternal life. You don't need to fear death. If you're grieving the death of a loved one, perhaps from COVID or any other situation, if if you're grieving over the death of a loved one, it's so painful, it's so difficult. Jesus says, trust me to bring hope and peace to your pain. Choose joy. It might sound counterintuitive, but joy does not deny the sadness It simply provides a fertile soil from which more of God's joy can rise. If you're having suicidal thoughts, if you're thinking about taking death into your own hands, I implore you, I beg you. Jesus says, you are so precious to me. Do you know how much I love you? You are so special to me. Don't take your life. Let me give you life. And if that's you this morning, I want you to pray and seek the Lord. I also really want you to reach out to someone and talk to somebody. Don't keep it in the shadows. That's where death is kept. Bring it into the light where life can reign. I know it can be so painful, so difficult, but you are so precious, so precious to God that he sent his son to die for you. And he he did not do it begrudgingly. He did it joyfully because he loves you. If you've been in rebellion against God, Jesus says, I've taken the death you should have had for all of your rebellion and your running away. Don't waste what I have done. Come to me today and know life. Let's pray. Father God, whoever's watching this this morning, would they hear a message of life? Good Friday, when we think about you dying upon that cross. But what does it mean? It means life. It means hope. It means freedom. It means peace. God, I pray right now that people who are watching this will just be praying in their heart, in their mind, even with words out, uh, verbalizing it, saying, Jesus, I might not have it all figured out, but I want this life that I'm hearing about. I want to put my trust in you. Forgive me. Forgive me for running away. Forgive me for choosing death when you had life for me. God is faithful to forgive. God is faithful to restore. You're being killed by regret give them to God. Don't be held by your regrets. Be held by Jesus. Oh, Jesus, would you set people free this morning? Would they know your life made possible by your death and resurrection? Would they trust in you? Holy Spirit, would you come and live in their lives? Empower them to be the life people that they were always supposed to be, and then to go into the world, and just as John says in his passage, to then reveal you in the way that we love loving as you love, extravagantly, sacrificially, powerfully, to show people there is hope, there is freedom, there is life, and it is found in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You responded in any way to the talk this morning, please get in touch with us. Send us a message on the social media outlet you're watching it on, or email us here at the message. Get in touch with me directly from the socials that you saw at the start of this video. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to get to know more of your story. I'd love to introduce you more to Jesus who has given us life. Amen.